the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Maybe it is the beginning of the end. I've been saying for a while, only half kiddingly, that over a billion people having access to a pocket-sized video camera is the beginning of the end of human civilization. I was talking yesterday about Antonio Brown's doctor appointment being videoed and then shown all over the world thanks to TMZ. It was Antonio passing gas while the doctor was testing him. Well, here's a story that's not so funny. A kid, Kashin Morris, 16 years old in Oceanside, New York, He's walking with a girl, uh, and there was a dispute about whether who this girl should be dating. And uh, right about 3.30 uh, in the afternoon on Monday, a bunch of kids drive up in a car. Uh, the, the boys jumped out, and they rushed this kid, Kashin, uh, and his friends. And the video that they have shows Kashin collapsing to the ground as teenagers around him fi- tape his fall but do not come to his aid, the police said. So he's lying on the ground, and he is dying. And the uh, there's video of it because his friends, instead of helping him, they videoed what was going on. That's what they did. They videoed this kid who later was taken to the hospital and died. And they, they're they watching their, their friend, on the uh, first of all, get stabbed. And then he's on the ground, and they video, rec- they record... The uh, him him lying there, and so he ends up being dead. Um, and the police have identified at least seven kids involved in this thing because of the vi- uh, the videos that are out there, and they want to identify several more. The cop said uh, he said they urged witnesses to tell the police what they had seen. When I have you in handcuffs, it's not the time to come forward. He said this is what the cop said. I don't know what to make of it. My generation versus this generation. He continued, this can't go on. Your friends are dying while you stand there and video it? That's egregious. Somebody's going to go to prison for this, but probably not for long enough. When we come back, we're going to have a man with the numbers to prove that, that not enough people are spending enough time in prison. And it also proves that the lunatics in the Democratic Party who are calling for half the prisoners to be set free are, well, lunatics. Stick around. They blow into town with the wind, rain, and hail. And out-of-town storm chasers going door-to-door, often posing as a local company, offering a quick fix to desperate homeowners. If you've had damage to your roof, windows, siding, or gutters and downspouts, you may be eligible to get them replaced or repaired free of charge. Just be careful who you call. Visit WindowsRSPittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. With over 50 years in home remodeling, Windows R Us is the area's premier exterior replacement company for roof siding, gutters and downspouts, doors, and of course windows. If damage isn't your issue and you just want something new, you'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. A company who will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Mention Stag for an additional 10% off. Windows R Us, proud sponsor of the Jerk of the Week, heard every Friday on the John Stagerwald Show. WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Community Bank, City Mission, Number One Cochrane, Highmark Stadium, Peters Township Community Center, Angelo's Restaurant. What do all these businesses have in common? Nello Construction, design and build with one company. Nello Construction, full service construction from the ground up. Renovation, expansion. Nello Construction, the choice for business. See the projects, begin the journey at NelloConstruction.com. 
there is a sense of despair because what you see strikes you to the heart. But at the same time, I leave with tremendous hope. John Stagerwald here with Food for the Poor's Paul Jacobs on the humanitarian crisis in Haiti. These families do not quit. These moms, when they tell us that even though we get our food from a garbage dump or what other people have thrown away or the water that I give my children to drink is from a slow-moving creek, that when they translate it into English from Haitian Creole, it translates the gutter. They literally get water from the gutter. That they are still not going to quit. And my hope is that you listening right now will respond to these families who work just as hard as you, who depend on someone like you to make a difference. A one-time gift of just $80 is all it takes to provide one child food for a year and water for life. $320 can do the same for an entire family. Visit TheAnswerPGH.com slash hope today and let's help as many as we can. That's TheAnswerPGH.com slash hope. I owed more than $35,000 in taxes. Oxford Tax Partners negotiated my debt with the IRS, and I only had to pay $2,000. They helped renew my peace of mind. If you also have a debt over $10,000 with the IRS or you haven't filed taxes two years or more, call Oxford Tax Partners now for a free consultation, 888-512-5281. Taxes are a fact of life. Fortunately, Oxford Tax Partners has made your taxes their business. Let Oxford Tax Partners experts help you negotiate your debt with the IRS. And once and for all, take that burden off your shoulders. 888-512-5281. Oxford Tax Partners understands many clients are on strict budgets, so they do their best to provide manageable payment plans for every client. Call today, and in addition to your free consultation, get $600 off your case. 888-512-5281. With Oxford Tax Partners, say goodbye to tax worries and hello to greater financial freedom. 888-512-5281. 888-512-5281. Regenerate me. Regenerate me. Please regenerate me. Why suffer with joint pain? Regenerate Me Pittsburgh invites you to come and hear about a new treatment that offers more potential than stem cell therapy. Now open in Bethel Park, their certified medical professionals offer advanced biological therapies, also known as ABT. Come enjoy a weekly catered lunch or dinner event and hear how a full recovery is possible without surgery or drugs. Call 412-851-3811. 412-851-3811. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. If you've been paying attention to the lunatics who are running for the Democratic nomination for president, you've heard lots of talk about mass incarceration and how you should be ashamed by the number of people we have in prison compared to other countries, of course. And their solution is to let them out. Lots of them. Rafael Monguel is the Deputy Director of Legal Policy at the Manhattan Institute. He's an expert on prisons, and he joins us now. Rafael, thanks for coming on again. Oh, it's my pleasure. Always happy to be on. It's, uh, so is emptying out the prisons about to become a, uh, a major plank in the Democrat Party now? Oh, I think it already is, unfortunately. Um, you know, it's kind of wild that you, know, you wouldn't have thought that this was even possible 10 years ago. Um, but mass decarceration is now basically the default position in the Democratic Party, it seems. And you know, it's even actually becoming increasingly popular on the right as well. Yeah, and 25 years ago, um, 19, well, in the mid-90s, um, Bill Clinton was running around trying to, I guess, uh, win some favor, gain some favor with conservatives by saying more people had to go to jail and getting tough on crime. And now Joe Biden is having to defend himself for having uh, uh, been around during that time and been in support of it. Oh, that's exactly right. I wouldn't even say that the 94 bill was was necessarily an attempt to appease conservatives. I mean, this was, you know, being tough on, on crime, violent crime in particular, was something that was kind of universally recognized as the right thing to do irrespective of party affiliation. I mean, if you look at, you know, the, the sort of now seen as draconian um, uh, sort of tough on crime bills like the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986, for example, and you check out the votes on these pieces of legislation, there was, there was a lot of bipartisan support for these things. I mean, the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986, I think, passed the Senate 97, with 97 votes. Um, that, that's, uh, that's, that's about as bipartisan as you can get. I'm not sure when the last time we passed anything with 97 votes was. So what is it they are trying to sell right now? What's the idea for this? I mean, I know they, they think that it's time to start 
emptying out the prisons. But what what is it that they're trying to sell? Well, they're, they're basically two main ideas, and they both kind of feed off each other. The first idea is that we are in serious need of mass decarceration, somewhere on the order of a 50% reduction in our prison population nationally. And the way that they sell this idea to people is by convincing them that a, a significant number, if not the majority of people who are in prison, are there for these kind of low-level nonviolent offenses and that these people are kind of, you know, just these you know, sort of unfortunate um, otherwise well-meaning folks who just happen to get ensnared by the criminal justice system. And that, you know, it really isn't the case. Um, and I think that's how you can explain the polling data on this, which is that the vast majority of Americans don't actually support reducing criminal penalties for violent criminals, but at the same time do seem uh, open to the idea that we need significant criminal justice reform. And I think the reason that they hold these positions is because they've come to believe um, this false narrative, which is that, you know, our prison population is driven in large part by sort of overly punitive draconian policies aimed at nonviolent offenders. And that's just not true. And yeah, it seems like some of this would be tied in with uh, kind of running parallel with the um, legalization of marijuana in so many states. And then people are thinking, wow, there must be so many people who spent time in prison or already or are still in prison who were sent there because uh, they violated these laws that don't even exist anymore. Let's let them all out. Like there's that's, hundreds that's of thousands exactly of guys right. in there with, in that situation. That, that's exactly um, uh, that's exactly right. I mean, the major plank in the the you know the talking points to achieve marijuana legalization uh, in in cities and states across the country was that you know it was driving mass incarceration and that we were putting these people behind bars for you know behavior that was no longer viewed by society as as worthy of that sort of condemnation. But again, the reality is, is that very few people, if any, are are in prison for marijuana related offenses, and the ones that are are in prison for a pretty large scale dealing. Um, and not just, you know, personal use or, you know, possession, that sort of thing. Um, you know, and, and even with those folks, I mean, this is something about the drug war that I don't think enough people understand is that the drug war has always kind of been a pretextual attack on violent crime. It's always been about more um, than, than just the drug use itself. There was always an understanding in the law enforcement community that there was an overlap between drug offenders and violent criminals such that if you went after drug criminals, you would, um, by proxy, be going after violent criminals as well. So how many people in state prisons, what percentage right now are nonviolent drug offenders? Oh, drug offenders in state prisons constitute less than 15% of the state prison population. It's a very, very small portion um, of, that, of, of that population. By contrast, four times that number, 60%, are serving time for either robbery, rape, sexual, simple, or aggravated assault, and burglary. Um, you know, the, the idea that our carceral resources are being uh, – spent on the drug war just it isn't really the case. The other thing, too, though, to keep in mind, when you consider the conviction records of people in prison, one of the things that often gets forgotten is that conviction records tend to understate the crime that a particular prisoner actually committed, and that's because the vast majority of our criminal cases are resolved uh, through plea bargaining, uh, which is a process uh, through which the offender usually agrees to plead guilty to some lesser offense than what he or she actually did. Um, you know, th this is something that often gets left out of the conversation that I, th that I think is actually a very relevant detail. Um, but even, you know, a good portion of the people in prison for drug crimes are not necessarily nonviolent. You see this in the data, right? It's some, somewhere on the, on the order of close to 40% of drug criminals who are released from prison go on to get rearrested for a violent crime. And more than three quarters of drug uh, offenders who get released from prison go on to get rearrested for a non-drug crime. So there's, again, there's a lot of overlap and there really is a lot of specialization within the criminal class. And this is something that I don't think gets enough attention in this debate. So uh, what you're saying, uh, Raphael, and we're talking to Raphael Mangual, he's deputy director of legal policy at the Manhattan Institute. Uh, so what you're saying is that uh, the prison population is made up mostly of bad people who, you know, 
belong in prison. Is that what you're trying to sell us here, Raphael? That's exactly right. The vast majority of people in wow, prison are, are either violent or potentially violent, yeah. very chronic and serious offenders who ought to be behind bars. I mean, we are, we are enjoying an incapacitation benefit from these people's incarceration. And, you know, I, I think that we release mass numbers of people um, to the peril of, of the members, the law-abiding members of already vulnerable communities, which is where a lot of these prisoners are going to land. You know, they're not going to get, you know, equally distributed throughout the United States if there were, a, you know, a mass decarceration effort. These people are going to concentrate in the already dangerous neighborhoods that they that they came from, and that's going to mean that life is going to get worse for the good people in those areas. Well, uh, you know, when you talk about um, plea bargains, it makes me think of it's it's almost like uh, buying a car, or if you're in sales, and uh, one of the, one of the common tricks of, of of a salesman salesperson is is you go in and you you give the price as uh, very high, which is a high markup. Knowing that you have a lot of wiggle room, so that then you can then you say something costs twenty thousand dollars, but you know you you're you're going to make a good commission if you can get fifteen. So you tell them, all right, I'll knock that, I'll knock four thousand dollars off for you. We'll make it sixteen. Seems like they're doing the same thing with with um, you know with with sentences, and that there's something to do with uh, rearranging the the sticker price on these uh, on these um, penalties. Yeah, well, there's not just the difference between the the sticker price and what the what what's ultimately agreed to, but there's also the difference between what's ultimately agreed to and what's actually served. Right? This is the other thing that often gets left out of this conversation. But the time actually served in prison is a lot lower than the sentence uh, that most people tend to get, such that the median time served in prison is just over a year. Um, about 40% of state prisoners um, who get released served less than a year in prison. Um, that's not a very long period of time. Um, and, and this is something that, again, I think just gets left out of this conversation. Long sentences, multi-year sentences, are already reserved for the kind of most serious, heinous offenders you know, who have committed some of the worst sort of crimes you can imagine. Short sentences are the norm, you know, insofar as you can consider somewhere around one year to, to less than that a short sentence, because the time actually served um, is, is, is a lot lower than the time that's, that's given. And I will say this. Uh, I have been inside a state prison, not for any crime that I committed. I was doing stories in there, and uh, an overnight would be a long sentence for me. So I, I can't even imagine what it's like to spend a year, five years, ten years, fifteen years in there. So I mean, I, I know that it's not a. It's, if you even get a year, it's a really bad year you're getting. But you know, uh, to say that I think you wrote that only twenty percent of the people convicted of murder, uh, or, or you wrote that twenty percent of people who are convicted of murder serve less than five years. This is for murder. One in That's five right. murderers is out in five years. That's right. That's right. And and more than half of people convicted of either rape or sexual assault are, are out within five years. And, uh, you know, th these are two of the most heinous crimes that you can commit against another human being. And even then, um, many of those cases don't result in, in, in the kind of long sentences that I think the average Joe on the street would think those crimes would be met with. And that, I think, is the problem that I'm trying to solve, which is to kind of bridge the gap between what people have kind of come to believe based on the rhetoric in this space and what the reality is. And um, another number that you cite, well, before I get to that, um, these, these short sentences, how many of them are based on the uh, maybe the, the big heart of somebody on a parole board that's being a little bit, uh, feeling a little bit too sorry for these people? You know, it's it's hard to say. Um, you know, parole is a is a pretty common tool at this point. I think a good part of it, I guess, it depends on the jurisdiction. But you know, in California, for example, I would say that a good part of it is driven by the fact that those uh, prisons are largely overcrowded. Um, you know, so I think people see parole and early release and alternatives to incarceration as a way around dealing with some of the impacts of, of overcrowding. There's been a, a lot of pushback in different states um, against efforts to build new prisons or to expand prisons. We've also seen big pushes and a lot of public support to close 
um, carceral facilities. And we see that here in New York City with the, with the push to close Rikers Island. Um, so, you know, I, I think a good chunk of it is, is just kind of driven by reformers and people who have, you know, kind of real problems that they're trying to deal with, and, and they're doing it that way. And what do you think it is that makes the Democrats feel so confident about, uh, you know, prisoners getting out early and, and taking advantage of the break that you give them? Hey, you know, they'll be real. They'll they'll straighten up if we just let them out early. And 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 uh, I don't know what they expect to do with them after they get out, but they're going to work their magic. And these guys are going to be these come regular, uh, well, well-rounded citizens. Yeah, it's not clear to me that they thought that far in advance because I don't really see what the basis would be to believe something like that, right? If you look at the recidivism numbers in the United States, uh, 83% of police state prisoners go on to get rearrested for some new offense. Um, that's, that's not a small number. You're talking about... That's just about everybody. Exactly. Less than 20% desistance. Um, you know, that's... Uh, that's troubling. So I, I'm not really sure that there's a, a, a database reason to believe that you could release that many people without um, having to incur some downside risk in the form of, of, of new crimes being committed by these folks when they get out, when all the data that we have tells us that it's a near certainty. Um, you know, and, and that extends not just to, you know, low-level offenses uh, or economic crimes. It also extends to violent crimes. If you look at violent felonies, um, more than a third of them are already committed by people with an active criminal justice status. These are people who are either on parole, on probation, or have a pending case and are out either on bail or bond or something like that. So, you know, there's already a significant amount of serious violent crime that is committed by people we have a justification to incarcerate, but have chosen not to incarcerate these people. And releasing that many more prisoners or cutting the prison population by that much is only going to make that problem worse. And the Democrats like to uh, compare the U.S. to Europe. And uh, they'll say that our incarceration, uh, the number of people incarcerated is X, and look at Europe, and we, we're, we're just terrible for having so many people in prison. What about that as a comparison? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a bit of a silly comparison. I mean, first of all, you know, our, our criminal offending rates are very different here in the United States than they are in Europe, and that goes a very long way towards explaining the disparity um, between the U.S. prison population and, and Western European uh uh, prison populations. That's one, right? And this is something the Democrats never hesitate to point out when they're discussing other topics like gun control, for example, right? We're all, it's often said that the United States needs gun control because we have so much more gun crime than Western Europe has. Well, hey, guess what? That's a big reason why we also have so many more prisoners. Um, they never make that connection, unfortunately. But we would have to cut incarceration by a lot more than 50% to to, to become even with some of the Western uh, European democracies that we are compared to. And uh, that's something I don't think even most Democrats would go so far as to, as to do. So again, you know, a lot of this debate is really just kind of built around an obfuscation of the reality. And the reality is, is that we're never going to get anywhere near Western European um, numbers for incarceration in large part because we we just have too much violent crime i have about a minute left and i'm up against a hard break Raphael. i have one last question for you i think it's my last one sure. um what about the demonization of pr uh, prisons for profit that seems yeah, to be I mean, going this, on this has been kind of a really weird thing to focus on i mean a very small number of our prisoners are in private facilities and that number is actually shrinking in part because a lot of these contracts are expiring and um you know there's so much political pressure not to renew them but the idea that you can cut uh, incarceration by eliminating or getting rid of private prisons is just nonsense they point to the lobbying done by these groups but there's really no difference in the positions that they hold versus the positions held by by public interest groups like corrections officers prosecutors associations that sort of thing so um yeah it just seems like a really silly kind of argument to me well, Raphael, it's always good to have you on. You're the uh, you're our go-to guy on uh, prisons and uh, Democrats' stupidity about prisons. So I really appreciate you being here. I appreciate you having me on. Thank All you right. so much. Thank you. That's Raphael Monguel. He's uh, deputy director of legal policy at the Manhattan Institute, and we will be right back.
With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. The Federal Reserve is cutting its key interest rate for the second time this year. The benchmark federal funds rate will drop by a quarter point to a range of one and three quarters to two percent. While the economy is in its 11th year of growth and appears durable, with a solid job market and steady consumer spending, the Fed is trying to head off a range of threats, including economic uncertainties caused by President Trump's trade war with China, weakening global growth, and a slump in American manufacturing. In a statement, the Fed says it's prepared to act as appropriate to sustain the U.S. economic expansion. Ben Thomas, Washington. The Senate has come up short in its first effort to advance a minibus spending bill. On Wall Street, a mixed day as the Dow was up by 36 points to 27,148. The Nasdaq, however, dropped eight points. The S&P advanced one. Oil down $1.23 today. This is SRN News. When it comes to your pain, many of you might be skeptical, like I was, about ordering Relief Factor. Pat Boone again for this wonderful 100% drug-free supplement designed to help your own body lower or eliminate occasional aches and pains due to aging, exercise, everyday living. I'm not skeptical any longer. The three-week quick start is now discounted to only $19.95. Why don't you let us see if we can get you out of pain, too, at relieffactor.com. I'm a lawn guy and proud of it. Pro tip, watch the fall leaves. When that first bad boy drops, boom, get feeding and seeding with Scott's. Lay down Scott's Turf Builder today and come spring, your lawn will be so thick, green, and strong. Neighbors like Steve over there will be mad green with envy. Hey, sweet lawn, Stevie. (laughs) Steve. Don't be a Steve. Be a lawn guy. Pick up a bag of Scott's Turf Builder today. This is a Scott's Yard. She's listening all the time and getting smarter every day. When you want the conservative perspective on today's most pressing issues, Alexa has the answer. You just have to point her in the right direction by saying, Alexa, enable the Answer Pittsburgh skill. Now say, Alexa, play the Answer Pittsburgh to get your favorite conservative talk station without lifting a finger. Look, Ma, no hands. So, Alexa, what's your favorite station? That's easy. AM 1250, the answer. Here is your new Pella Lifestyle window when open. Here it is. Closed. The new Pella Lifestyle series is the number one performing wood window and patio door for sound control, energy efficiency, and value. Keep the outside noise outside. More peace and better rest for your family. Exceptional noise control for a quieter home. Right now, get 50% off installation or 18 months, no payments, no interest. Call 888-77-PELLA. PellaPittsburgh.com. If you're worried about market volatility or the possibility of losing money in the next market crash, the time to act is now. Effective financial management involves identifying opportunities. And with a 10-year bull market run, markets around all-time highs, and a highly contested election cycle, right around the corner, we have an opportunity now to protect what's important. Don't risk losing a significant portion of your life savings in the next market downturn. Call Hunt and Associates today, 844-366-HUNT. That's 844-366-4868. Do you or your business have financial problems? Are you overwhelmed with debt? Then call me, Attorney Dennis Spirate, 412-471-7675. My legal practice concentrates on bankruptcy law, debtor rights, and tax matters. I have over 30 years' experience as a former United States Department of Justice bankruptcy attorney and lawyer in private practice. I have represented thousands of cases faced with financial problems and lawsuits. Reorganize and get a fresh start. Call 412-471-7675 or visit my website at DennisSpira.com. This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy & Hagerman. Upon your passing, you wouldn't want a judge to decide who raises your children or how your estate gets divided. It is important to review your estate planning documents to ensure they protect what matters most. At Abernathy & Hagerman, we will work with you to establish an estate plan that nominates a guardian for your minor children and that your assets are used for your family's benefit. Judge for yourself. For legal help that lasts a lifetime, visit a-h.law. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. Heavy delays on outbound 28 Veterans Bridge to the Highland Park Bridge. Everall jammed up inbound Parkway West, Roslyn Farms Road to the Fort Pitt Bridge. Parkway East also stacking up outbound. Stop and go Boulevard of the Allies out to Edgewood Swissdale. Outbound 65, an accident at Harrison Avenue. Also delays outbound 65, uh, approaching the McKees Rocks Bridge. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, the answer, weather. 
Looking at a very nice evening across the area. Clear tonight, seasonable, low 54. Tomorrow, plenty of sunshine, a pleasant afternoon, high 77. We'll stay clear tomorrow night, low 53. And for Friday, bright sunshine, a little bit warmer, another nice day with a high Friday, right around 80 degrees. With Iraqi weather forecast, I'm meteorologist Danielle Niddle. You're listening to the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. Well, it's easy to forget that Mike Vick, formerly known as Michael Vick, was once a Steelers quarterback. Didn't go well for him here, as you may remember. And no matter what he does for the rest of his life, he's going to be remembered for torturing and killing dogs while he was running a dog fighting ring that got him put in prison. There were 47 dogs rescued from his farm, and you might be surprised to find out what happened to them. Emily Giambalvo is a sports writer for the Washington Post. She wrote all about it, and she joins us now. Thanks for being here, Emily. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So why did you decide to track down all 47 dogs that Mike Vick tortured? Yeah, that's a really good question and one I've had to answer a lot uh, in the last few months. So I guess basically back in in May or or maybe early June, I pitched this idea and, and told our sports editor here at the Washington Post that I thought this was a sports story and, and he agreed and, and we kind of went from there and, and really early on I think I realized the power of the story would be in how comprehensive it was and it it became kind of my personal project and um, a little bit obsessive to, to just feel like I had to get to all 47. Um, there were certainly times when I worried we weren't going to be able to because there, there's no good uh, database, there's no good community feature out there for these dogs, right? Like some of them have loose ties to each other where they've formed friendships with other adopters. But at the end of the day, every person I talked to, nobody could give me an answer of how many are alive, where are they all? So I kind of became this this person um, at the center of this web of, of 47 dogs that all went all over the country. Um, and I, I guess the reason I did it was because I thought, A, it was a compelling story, and B, I thought to kind of do them justice we needed to find them all and tell tell each individual story. So you wouldn't have been satisfied if you had found 46 of them or 42 of them? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> maybe it speaks a little more to my personality than yeah. than what was necessary for the story. You know, I think this still would have been a powerful story um, without sure. all of them. But, but I think when you read the story, it's about legacy. It's about the concept that they're not going to be around much longer. And I think it's a, it would be a very natural reader question to say, well, how many are left, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I feel a lot better to be able to say 11. 11 are left than to say probably about 10 or probably about 12. You know, I think I, think I just felt better. Um, and I'm sure the editors of the Washington Post felt better to know that we had a definitive answer. Yeah, and I think that it makes it that much more interesting, uh, to me anyway, that you, you actually accounted for all of them. Uh, instead of a few of them, it's that makes that that kind of a a good uh, a good thing to hang your hat on for the story. It's really good. Um, yeah, it, go ahead. The thing that I think one thing that's interesting and maybe answers the question too of why it was important was what what everyone in this case wanted was for the dogs to be evaluated as individuals. Um, you know, instead of just having a blanket decision that because they're fight dogs they should be euthanized, mm-hmm. they they wanted them to be seen for who they were individually. So I thought. I, I felt a responsibility to to take that on too, um, because that's kind of what the whole point of of this case was in the eyes of people in animal welfare. So, how and where were they placed? I, I mean, you don't have to give me every location, but I know it's all over the country. Yeah. So um, the the they went to eight different rescues. So eight different rescues had custody of the dogs and. The most went to a place in Utah. It's out in the middle of nowhere uh, in southern Utah. And they took 22, and they're the 22 most challenging cases for whether those were behavioral or medical uh, reasons. And then 10 went to an organization in California. And then apart from that, they were divided up into threes and fours and ones and twos, um, and it totaled eight organizations. And apart from those 22 dogs that went to Utah, most of them went almost immediately into foster homes. You know, these were dogs that were pretty well adjusted. Um, the 22 needed some more time to to recover, but but the others went went out into foster homes pretty quickly. And in terms of where those homes were, um, I mean, it was pretty much every part of the country. California, Rhode Island, Kansas, you know, everywhere. And, and people, some people who are maybe 
tied to animal welfare. Maybe, you know, some of the adopters are dog trainers or, or people who are close to the sphere. And then some people are very much ordinary families who are teachers and attorneys and, and just typical jobs. So, so a real variety and, and it took each dog a different amount of time to kind of get where he or she needed to be, um, to be ready to go out into a home. Are they all pit bulls? Yeah, all, all of these are pit bulls. I, my understanding is that when they raided the property when it first happened, was there were a few other dogs um, that were on the property, not sure how or why they were there, that were not pit bulls, but those weren't the ones that were kind of like the subject of, of the court decision. So so these were, all, these were all pit bulls or believed to be pit bulls. Now, what's interesting about this, too, is that it was kind of um, not everybody agreed with the idea of rescuing any of these dogs, right? Yeah, and, and I think that's what shocks people. I mean, the Humane Society of the United States and PETA um, both thought that they should all be killed. And it's just by nature of their long-standing policies, um, that's what they believe, that when dogs from this traumatic past, you know, what they experience would just be too much to overcome. Um, so I think that surprises people when, when they hear that. And, and that's what kind of the legacy of this case really was, was that, some of those groups did change their position and did change their position almost directly because of the success um, these dogs had. And, and obviously it was a very highly visible um, case because of, because of the fact that the person who did it was a star quarterback. Um, so, so it was definitely the precedent was that all dogs in these situations should be killed. Um, and then this was really the first time from a large scale fight bus that they, you know, not just, given the chance to live or not just allowed to live, but just given an evaluation, you know, before they wouldn't even kind of assess each dog to see is, is it possible that they could go into society? Um, but this case, they, they assessed them and decided that most of them were. And um, uh, people would be surprised then to hear that uh, a lot of good came out of Mike Vick uh, and it, because it was Mike Vick, uh, Michael Vick, an NFL quarterback being arrested and doing jail time, some a lot of good came out of it in the end. Yeah, and and I think that's what's almost the most ironic part of this, and the way I kept describing it when I was just on the phone with people, and and they seemed to agree, was that Michael Vick's fame and money and all that is what gave him the ability to do this to the dogs, right? You know, um, and but his fame is the same thing that gave the dogs a platform you know like dog fighting had happened many times before and it's many times since um but there's a reason that this one catapulted into the public eye and that's because um michael vick played in the nfl so so i think he really gave these dogs a platform and then kind of what they did with that platform depended on you know the rescuers, the the dogs themselves, the adopters, um, but he he really did give them this massive platform that an ordinary dog certainly would not have, and I mean certainly we wouldn't be writing about twelve years later. Yeah, but also um, now maybe uh, organizations and uh, and interested groups won't necessarily be so quick to want to euthanize them. Yeah, and that's I mean we've seen that. So so there was there have been some massive fight bust um, in the years since. There was one with more than 300 dogs. There was one with close to 500 dogs. And in both those situations, um, the dogs were saved and they were evaluated. And, and that was not the case before before the Michael Vick situation. So so there are real tangible examples of, of dogs people can point to and say, this dog would not be alive if it's not for the 47 from the Michael Vick case. Talking to Emily Giambalvo of the Washington Post uh, sports reporter. I only have less than a minute here and I'm up against a hard break. I, I just, if you can answer quickly, maybe you mm -hmm. don't know, but how much dog fighting is still going on around the country? Do you think? Yeah. So no one has a great answer because it's all underground, right? Like there's no comprehensive data. You'd have to go to each individual County and, and try to get a count. But from talking to experts, I mean, it's definitely, it still happens. It happens among all demographics, um, all parts of the country. Some, most people believe it's declining, um, but, but there's no real way to know. Um, and, and what we do know though, is that when the dogs are seized from the situation, um, they are more often than not individually evaluated now. Are you a dog person? Do you have a dog? Um, I don't have a dog with me uh, because I'm 23 and live in an apartment. Uh, but my <laughs> my mom has a has a dog back home who I love dearly. 
Yeah, uh, I'm a dog person too. I really like the story you did. I appreciate it, and I'm glad to hear that those dogs got a chance. And uh, most, most if not uh, all of them, uh, lived pretty normal lives after they were uh, taken care of. Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting, and I'm I'm glad uh, it's resonated with people. Thanks, Emily. Thanks for being here. Yep, thank you so much. That's Emily Giambalvo, and we will be right back. Regenerate me. Regenerate me. Please regenerate me. Why suffer with joint pain? Regenerate Me Pittsburgh invites you to come and hear about a new treatment that offers more potential than stem cell therapy. Now open in Bethel Park, their certified medical professionals offer advanced biological therapies, also known as ABT. Come enjoy a weekly catered lunch or dinner event and hear how a full recovery is possible without surgery or drugs. Call 412-851-3811. 412-851-3811. It may not be stomach issues. For me, it's intense gas, or pain, or diarrhea, sometimes all at once, over and over. I spent years with the symptoms, but could never figure it out. No matter what I did, they never went away. So I decided to break it down for my doctor and get really specific about my symptoms. We discovered that exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, or EPI, may be the reason for my stomach issues. EPI is caused by my pancreas. It leads to diarrhea, gas, bloating, stomach pain, unexplained weight loss, and oily stools. The symptoms just don't go away. But EPI can show up with even one symptom. The good news? EPI is manageable. But to get to the right diagnosis, you have to break it down for your doctor and get specific about the severity of your symptoms. Visit IdentifyEPI.com to learn more and use the symptom checker to help change the conversation with your doctor. Brought to you by AbbVie. Are you self-employed or own a business and have a debt of more than $10,000 to the IRS or haven't filed taxes in over two years? Pay close attention. With a call to Oxford Tax Partners, you will find a solution to your worries. 888-512-5281. The consultation is free. 888-512-5281. I thought a payment plan was the only option with the IRS until Oxford Tax Partners settled my tax debt completely. Call 888-512-5281. If the federal or state authorities have taken aggressive action against you or your business, Oxford's team of tax attorneys will help you settle your debt every step of the way. Oxford Tax Partners has helped clients in all 50 states, including many in your area. Call today, and in addition to your free consultation, save $600 in services. 888-512-5281. With Oxford Tax Partners, say goodbye to tax worries and hello to greater financial freedom. 888-512-5281. 888-512-5281. From the creators of War Room. The Kendrick Brothers return to the big screen with Overcomer. Why have a season with one runner? One runner matters. John Harrison is a frustrated coach questioning his value until he crosses paths with a student struggling on her own journey. What have you allowed to define you? Overcomer. Now playing. Starring Alex Kendrick and Priscilla Shirer. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Visit OvercomerMovie.com. Hi, my name is Ryan Bourne. And I'm Danica Bourne. And And we're we're the the owners owners of South Coast Tax. We started our company 10 years ago in an effort to help our fellow Christians experiencing tax issues resolve their matters by taking a simple three-step approach. South Coast Tax are Christian-based tax accountants and attorneys that specialize in releasing bank levies, wage garnishments, and filing complex tax returns. We are the leaders in acceptance of offers and compromise with awesome results. We're also a small firm who will treat you like family, not just a number. Call us today at 1-800-TAX-1176 for a free consultation. And we'll take the time to explain all of the programs that you qualify for in order to allow you a fresh start. Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Call us today at 1-800-TAX-1176, and together we can help achieve this goal by putting the IRS debt behind you for good. Again, that number is 1-800-TAX-1176. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. We have just followed these beautiful young girls from a local watering hole. Filthy, dirty river water. And they work all day back and forth from this watering hole several times a day. And now we're coming upon their home. The home is up six feet by seven feet shack. And it is a shack in every sense of the word. 
Her name is Shavlin Oralis. She's 12 years old. She was fetching water to drink. Does she like drinking that water? I treat the water to drink it. She treats it with Aquatab, but they don't find the Aquatab tablet all the time. Sometimes they drink it like that or they try to find a little chlorine to put in it. What does it taste like when she drinks the water? It tastes like mud. Sometimes I can even feel the germs inside of it. Sometimes it gives me stomach ache. Food for the poor. Paul Jacobs joins us now. Well, Paul, thanks for being here. It is great to be with you, And uh, you're doing great work. And I, you know, before we go any further, um, the website is the answer pgh slash hope. And the landline is 855-358-4673. That's 358-HOPE for people who want to donate uh, to uh, Food for the Poor. Paul Jacobs is with Food for the Poor, and this is money for people in Haiti. And what I I don't know a lot about this program. I just from what you guys have told me, and just what I've you know researched before we do this interview. But the thing that strikes me is that if you make a donation, mm-hmm. uh, anybody who makes a donation, they know exactly where this money is going to end up and what what it's going to be for. So, what happens if I donate three hundred and twenty dollars, for example? Well, first of all, it's life changing. A family of four will receive food for a year and water for life with that gift of $320. In fact, a listener can say, hey, I'd like to break this up over the next 12 months. My wife and I, we're on the Dave Ramsey plan. Every dollar has yeah, a name yeah, to yeah. it, right? right? So you have a budget at home. You can seriously think about budgeting $27 a month over the next 12 months, not forever. Mm-hmm. And that will effectively provide a Haitian family, a family of four, food for a year and water for life through the Ministry of Food for the Poor, ministering to the poorest of the poor in the grips of a humanitarian crisis that, quite frankly, most in Haiti have said we have not seen it this bad since the earthquake of 2010. Wow. And people who, who decide to make that donation, they know that uh, that $320 is going for the people to buy food and not going to be lost somewhere in the pipeline. Absolutely. For more than 10 years now, Food for the Poor has had an effective and efficient ratio of more than 95% of all donations that come in going directly back to the poor and the programs that serve the poor. And I, the, I, I think that people who are listening right here in western Pennsylvania, um, they it's probably hard for, I'm sure it's hard for anybody who lives around here to even grasp what poor means in Haiti. Hmm. compared to what poor means to people in Pittsburgh or Western PA. You know, the biggest difference is, and everyone has had their struggle. Uh, yeah. I've grown up and I've had my own story of struggle with mm-hmm. a sing- growing up in a single-parent household. Yeah. But you just imagine now, here in Western PA, you have a family that goes through tremendous travail, maybe an eviction, maybe a job loss, um, maybe just money is dried up. But there are safety nets. Mm-hmm. There's the local church. There are you know, municipalities that have these programs available for those that are just gone, you know, that life has gone south for them. In Haiti, there are no safety nets. There is no government intervention. There is no welfare system. There is nothing. There's the local church, and through that being resourced by Food for the Poor, and uh, something we've done for more than 37 years. And you've been there? Oh, gosh. In my nine years of... dumb question, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, my nine years of Food for the Poor, I've been several times. Yeah. And each time, there is a sense of despair because what you see strikes you to the heart. But at the same time, I leave with tremendous hope. The hope that these families do not quit. These moms, when they tr- tell us that even though we get our food from a garbage dump or what other people have thrown away or the water that I give my children to drink is from a slow-moving creek, that when they translate it into English from Haitian Creole, it translates the gutter. They literally get water from the gutter that they are still not going to quit. And my hope is that you listening right now will respond to these families who work just as hard as you, who depend on someone like you to make a difference. And once again, that's uh, just $80 will give uh, food for a year and water for life for one child. 160 is food for a year and water for life for two kids. And 320 or $27 per month, that's food for a year and water for life for one family. The phone number, it's um, 
1-855-358-HOPE. That's 1-855-358-4673. You can uh, do it online at the answer PGH slash hope. The answer PGH slash hope. Paul, thanks and good luck. Thank you. Yes, and good luck, and uh, whatever you can give, we appreciate here. I have a couple minutes left. I want to make sure that I give you the good news. Uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary has added they as a non-binary pronoun, uh, according to this story. They can officially be used as a singular non-binary pronoun. Merriam-Webster, the oldest dictionary publisher in America, officially recognized the usage today. Uh, I got a question. When did Merriam-Webster, who put Merriam-Webster in charge anyway? I never, I've always wondered that. I mean, how come they get, we got to wait for them to come out with stuff like this? In recognition of they uh, comes, it says, as its usage grows in popularity, especially among people who identify as neither male nor female. However, these adoptees frequently face critics who claim the usage is not grammatically correct. Somebody from Merriam-Webster wrote a preemptive uh, something on his blog. We will note that they has been in a consistent use as a singular pronoun since the late 1300s, that the development of singular they mirrors the development of the singular you from the plural you, yet we don't complain that singular you is ungrammatical. There's nothing to do with what the reason why they changed they to a singular pronoun. Uh, overall, you're seeing workplaces... Uh, schools and hospitals recognize the current system of only offering male and female isn't working for a lot of people. A lot? Let me just do me a favor. Ask around everybody you know, all your family. Just spend the next, I don't know, week or so. See how many people you can find that think that they need to be referred to as they if, they're a, if they are a he or a her or a him or a she. So what's a lot? I, what is a lot? Uh, British singer Sam Smith made the headlines last week. Uh, he said he wanted to be called they instead of he or him. And then here in the story, it actually refers to Smith as they. <laughs> and the, it's just it's enough to make you want to puke. But that's that's where we are. They. Don't call him him. Call him they. I'll see they tomorrow. The John Steigerwall Show is a production of AM 1250, The Answer, and Salem Media Group. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.